Welcome to the iChain View radio show for May. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank Hello, you. Martin. Good morning. Good morning. Must start with um, gentlemen, actually, because Kylie collared me at the BCS event and accused us all of being uh, middle-aged white guys on this podcast. And she Guilty. has a point. Guilty. She, she has a, <laughs> a point. And she said that the guests on this podcast were only allowed via a, a gambling WhatsApp group, which is an outrageous <laughs> claim. Slur. Uh, right, outrageous slur. Uh, in the interest of balance, it would be good to have a, a more balanced, less middle-aged white guys on this podcast. So hold on, hold on, hold on. What define middle-aged? Because <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> You're right, David. David, I've got grey hair. Roy's got dark hair. You're ginger. We've got real balance there, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah it depends on um, when you're going to die. Half that is at your age. Oh, this is going down a very morbid route. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've just come off a bank holiday, but come on, guys. This, this, more enthusiasm, please, Stuart. Less death. <laughs> No, but joke, joking aside, she has a point. Well, hopefully some of the listeners might be female and they'd want to join on the next one. Yes. Yeah, very much so, yeah. yeah. So, um, willing victims to Martin, please. So, industry news this month. Rory and I, I, I was lucky enough to meet Rory whilst I was in Vegas and got a selfie of me and Rory in, in Las Vegas. Um, what did you think of the whole ServiceNow show, Rory? Um, uh, just mind blowing really in terms of scale more than anything else. I, you, you know, I, I can go to some of these, um, events and I'll, I'll bump into people that I know. And I just got the feeling off the back of the first two days, I won't meet anybody. I know it was, I think it, it depends on who you speak to, but it was like conservatively 20,000 plus, uh, in terms of, uh, attendees. So, um, yeah. Definitely a new experience for me in, in terms of size and scale for an IT event. And what do you think of the ServiceNow SAM capabilities and, and where they're going and what was your impression of all of that? I think, I think they're good enough. It, it's good enough that they've put their hand up and said, you know, we're not, we're not bleeding edge yet. You know, but we've, that they've got a, uh, a, a, a roadmap. We want to get better. It was, you know, it was the message that came away, which was, was refreshing really because normally you can go to these vendor-based events and it's like we're the greatest thing since sliced bread it's it's good that they realize they have a way to go but they know what the path is and they know that they they want to walk it my, my i mean I've, I've written about this at length for anyone who cares to look at it but i I've, um my observation really was the sort of maturity and execution so a lot of the all their reference accounts and their um their customers were quite low maturity they were just getting started and i think that the, the real turning point will be when service now cracks a big you know mature sam account i think that'll be a real turning point for them yeah i mean if, if you think about where their customer base lies it's it's around the cmdb and service management so the the sam pro module is that is exactly that it's it's an add-on to their existing customer base and you can see that from the from the strategy and approach that they were adopting with, with other aspects of, of IT, how everything sort of circles around, you know, a golden source of truth, that being the CMDB. It's what you do with the data after that that's, uh, uh, that's most interesting. It seemed like there was a real buzz, though, just from looking on social media about Sam at, at the conference. Did you guys feel that there? Every Sam session that I went to, um, which was quite a few, was was packed and standing room only mostly. And there were all, you know, hundreds of um, existing ServiceNow customers looking to do Sam. And as I mentioned last year, they're bringing all this new blood into the industry. And, and you know, that, that it wasn't a room, it wasn't a room full of Aspera and Flexera and Snow customers looking to swap. Although I'm sure there's some of that. Mostly, it's existing service now customers exploring sam for the first time which is which is amazing that's awesome that's really positive i think it's been marketed in a different way over in um especially in the states uh as it's a um and they don't lead with sam as a as a kind of go to market it's a and also so they wouldn't 
they wouldn't be there to go lead with Sam and also buy this ITOM or ITSM. It's very much you have to have a couple of the, the, the base products in place with SCCM as well for, for you to be able to do it. But I mean, talking to um, the guys at Softline who've done some of the implementation of that in, in EMEA, um, they're quite infused by it. And, um, and it's, they were saying it's actually a different way to, to sell it, really. Um, it's got a different use case. It's all part of the platform. It's kind of tied up into the kind of end-to-end workflow that they're promoting. Whereas I think some older vendors have been kind of tied into a uh, kind of compliance ELP style audit defense mechanism. Um, whereas I guess there's a, a more of an optimization, utilizing the data in the same kind of platform type um, offering within the, the general ServiceNow go-to-market. I think that's the way that you can start looking at it. It's kind of, if that kind of ELP compliance process is kind of inward looking, focused on your own stuff, um, this kind of thing gives you the ability to be outward focused as, a, as an ITAM team and be strategic and actually be a, you know, a value creator. You know, you can get involved in big projects and optimizing licensing before it happens. You know, you're ahead of the curve rather than constantly playing catch up with that sort of dodgy deployment of SQL Server you had from five years ago. One thing I was lucky enough to catch was the um, the VP of sort of partner strategy was, was giving a presentation and they were talking about rejigging how they um, sort of assess and support their partner ecosystem because that was one thing that they, I think another, another area for success perhaps that um, ServiceNow have spotted is that they, they can't do it all themselves. So they, they realize the value in, in nurturing the partner relationship and supporting the partners to, to grow with the product and, and everybody wins then at that point. But the, the biggest takeaway from that particular presentation was that they're going to score or assess their partners based on their understanding of workflow because they see the value of the data through the IT estate to supporting SAM. That was sort of in a cartwheel moment for me, definitely. And again, the same message from last year is massive, massive partner opportunity with ServiceNow, I think. There's hundreds and hundreds of organizations sat there thinking, right, we're going to do this ITAM stuff, and they're not going to be able to do it by themselves. And the, um, the exhibition hall was just not full of existing SAM partners. So there's massive opportunity for partners out there, mm -hmm. I think. I think it's one of those things where it is if you were starting to build an ITAM tool from the ground up, now this is probably the way you'd be doing it um yeah, yeah it, it's uh it's it's not it's not the fault of the of the existing vendors because they've obviously started from a different position where there was nothing you know, there were spreadsheets and um feeds out of sccm or whatever but um well, yeah, exactly you you would if you're starting from scratch you'd start with like a um a software catalog like a choice of software or hardware and you'd automate that request process yeah. and you'd automate change but you'd have itam built right within it and that's what i mean you, you've been able to do that with itsm tools before but you'd have to you have to get it to talk to the sound tool and all that sort of thing whereas this is the single pane of glass vision it's, it's, i think it's very cool it's how you would have started with itsm that no typically if you're doing itil way back when you started with the with the instant process and then you probably moved on to change um, and then you were building a CMDB. It's it's applying that kind of approach to um, to ITAM. So do we have any time frames or scales on when we think ServiceNow is going to be um, you know up there with the Flexeras and Snows in terms of technologies for ITAM organisations? Well, they have another release coming in the in 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 the autumn, um, and then at six monthly releases, um, they're, they're they're committed to that for that's for the whole platform, not just not just ITAM. Um, I guess there'll be the most recent release wasn't particularly ITAM heavy, so I would imagine the next one in in the autumn in October will be. Um, so wait and see. Um, Watch this space. No, the others, the the, the Flexeros and the um, and the Avantes of the world are, and Arison maybe as well. I sort of trying to do the same approach in building a platform um, and trying to integrate ITOM and ITBM and and so on. In, into into one suite, um, 
that seems to be where, where it's going. It's where it should be going. The other thing to mention is that it looks like they're going to start to embed the vendor hawk acquisition into New York. Was there any talk of that when you're out there? They were very sensitive about talking about future stuff, weren't they? Not just Sam, but all things. Like every presentation had a safe harbour notice. It's like it's almost <laughs> yeah. like the it was a terms and conditions pop up for everything they said. It was it was a bit tedious to be honest. I think I think they're all a bit nervous about sec filings and in, 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 in stock and stock stock market and so on, aren't they? With, there's been a fair few kind of um, you know, big fines handed out by by them. I'm, I'm thinking of Elon Musk and Tesla and so on. I think they're they're always a bit worried about forward looking statements. Yeah, but um, just going back to the vendor hawk stuff. I mean, that was a that was a pretty niche product when when they bought it. So. I guess they bought in expertise rather than a product there. So they, they are replatforming it. So it will really, it won't be the same beast when it finally appears um, in, in, in New York. It'd be interesting, interesting to see what they do, but, but the market, the market's moving so quickly. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether they take a, a cost management focus or whether it's going to be about risk management and, um, and user account management and, um, and data loss prevention. But I think that is the service now way is to have it, has it have it in the platform yeah you know it's one code base and that's i think that's will really really pay dividends against their competitors in the future is to have this one single code base single install sort, sort of approach um because yeah. I, I started my career at computer associates and the integration got as far as powerpoint you know oh this is how our portfolio sits together you know nothing nothing spoke to each other and it's just um it's, it's really powerful i think yeah. Anyway, just to make sure we have balance on coverage of knowledge, uh, the lunches were really awful. I'm not up to the standards of um, of what we can expect at Wisdom, then, Martin. Yes, exactly, David. Exactly. Thank you. Nice segue. Nice segue. Um, just on the on the other industry news, heard that um, Softline had opened up a new office and recruited a bunch of people in. West Germany, always good to hear. Um, Microsoft's dual rights. Yeah, um, so this was their proposal to remove the dual use rights for Microsoft 365, E3 or E5. So previously, um, and indeed currently, you can use uh, from SA version or in renewing or new agreements to transition across into Microsoft 365, E3 and E5. Um, there was talk of that uh, being removed. There was a couple of dates. The last, the latest date was going to be, I think, August time. Yeah, so Steve White from Gartner had, had reported this on LinkedIn, saying that there's been a lot of pressure, certainly from Gartner analysts and, and customers alike, just saying that they uh, didn't see it as a, uh, you know, a good business practice, and, um, and Microsoft have have listened, uh, um, and they have um, re- removed that that threat. Or that um, uh, the planned removal of that policy, so now people can can continue to use kind of and transition their licenses across. So before, I think um, there was we've got to have the customers that had kind of part on SA and part not. So the not stuff was fine because I had to buy that under the new agreement, and the old stuff was well, which bits of the old stuff that will stop at a point in August, then you're going to have to then transition or buy new licenses from August. So it all became a little bit messy. Um, so I think this this is kind of a good sign for customers that allow them to really extract the value out of their investment previously. And you mentioned Gartner, um, new quadrant from Gartner. Um, AJ, a couple of people, a couple of new entrants, a couple of people removed, shift well, at the top. Absolutely, yeah. Um, no, we've seen ServiceNow come in. Um, we've seen Flexera and Snow sort of swap pace spaces, but. The thing with, with Magic Quadrant is it isn't it isn't uh, it isn't a league table. It isn't just go and pick the one that's top right and say that say that they're the best because that's not how it works. The the, the tool. If you're a Gartner subscriber, a Magic Quadrant is a dynamic thing. It's based on what you what you're looking for in a product, and um, uh, so, so 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 the things that get published by all the various vendors and, and Gartner themselves is, is is a static version of quite a powerful tool but as a result it ends up with being having a bit more too much focus on it than it probably deserves um 
but yeah, so so Flexera have sort of overtaken Snow. Um, probably not surprising considering that Snow had a bit of a quiet year last year. There were a lot of organisational changes going on there, which have been well documented, and they're still going on. I mean, they're busy making uh, board level appointments. Um, they've they've appointed someone for um, sort of a VP of customer success just recently. Um, so Flexera, in contrast, were much more. They were very acquisitive last year. They bought. Um, uh, MetaSaaS in the SaaS world, and um, uh, an IaaS vendor whose name now escapes me because I'm talking about it live. <laughs> um, um, so, so you know, so the, the, right scale, right scale. That's it. Yeah. So, so no, they were very, very busy um, and really building out that platform. And I can see why Flexera have shifted up in the quadrant. ServiceNow have undoubtedly entered. They were in the critical capabilities report last year, um, and now they're in in the main quadrant. Um, Erosent have moved in as well. And, and must be said that Flexera is um, rumoured to be up for sale for three billion. Do you think? Yeah. Do you think that'll be the top price? Like, are they, are they at the top of the market because they're they've just they've just topped the quadrant, and ServiceNow is coming up after them for the enterprise customers. Snow's biting at their heels from the mid market, and Snow's fighting in the enterprise space as well. Now, is that is that the best price Flexera are ever going to get, or that, can they still innovate? I, I think they've got the scale just about to be able to to innovate. But you've also got people like SolarWinds coming in and buying um, some Sam managed from, from from Israel. And no, so, so SolarWinds are a, a network management platform primarily and um, sort of very infrastructure focused. And they've gone out and acquired um, a Sam practice. I think for memory, I think it was several hundred million dollars. Um, so so not not a small purchase there. Um, so there seems to be this convergence and, and um, security vendors as well coming into the space. Um, so it's a bit of a battleground, I think. And, um, you know, Flex, Flexera are well-placed and because um, it's not just their SAM stuff they're doing, their, their ITAM stuff. It's, it's all the other things they, they, they do around um, software monetization, which is very important for SaaS vendors and, and the like. Um, and also um, code vulnerability checking and, and, and tracking. So, so they have got a much broader offering as a as Flexera of the company than, than, than just the ITAM world. And that's probably why, where that valuation is coming from. It's, it's about the integration um, to take on service now. Uh, I think my final word on, on, on the Quadrant thing is there are plenty of young, innovative um, uh, ITAM practices out there they won't get a look in simply because of some of the criteria that the, the Gartner use around sales in different markets and volume of sales and number of customers. It's very enterprise focused. If you're not an enterprise, you don't need to really look at the uh, magic quadrant. You know, there's plenty of opportunities in the in SME and, and below for um, things that are actually going to fit your use case. So have a think about your use case um, before you decide to go and buy a Flexera or a Snow or a ServiceNow. Um, yeah, you know, the, the 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 quadrant is is not the be all and an end all when it when it comes to looking at SAM tools. What gets um, people excited? Well, what gets the vendors excited is if they're in the top right or if they're, I think it's fair on other or a niche and you know, well they get very excited about it because they then go oh, look where we are and then it kind of to your point, AJ, detracts from the point of the magic quadrant and the the lack of context around it. Yeah. Um, um, I seem to recall, um, I mean, Licensed Dashboard have done a lot of work with Gartner and they're not on it, I think partly because some of the criteria they use. Um, but last year, they seem to have this, the critical capability seem to be delving more into the, the, the breadth of vendors reviewed rather than just the magic quadrant. And this year, I can only seem to have seen the ones that talk about the critical capabilities within the, the actual quadrant um, residents. So last year was quite interesting because it, it kind of um, looked at where the different variants of your SAM maturity were. So if you wanted basic SAM maturity, for example, like license dashboard right at the top and Snow and Flexera were, were there or thereabouts. But, you know, that could, as you know, as you say, find your use case and, and have a look at how they all match up. And I don't think that was there this year. I'm not sure if that's something that... Has I've missed or is just not been covered this year? It, it wasn't there in quite the same way. And and another area that they completely missed in the quadrant in terms of their criteria 
was around um, SaaS management. No, no, SaaS is a is a massive growth in in in, in expenditure. It needs to be managed properly, and it isn't there. I can understand them not covering um, infrastructure as a service because they have a separate report for for that. Um, but certainly SaaS, they kind of need to get a grip with that because you know that that that's where the market's going. If you if you're buying a tool and you're thinking of using it for three to five years, then you need a tool that's going to have SaaS management on the roadmap um, or in there already. Um, and that was kind of really missed out. Um, you know, I, I was surprised by that and be interesting to see whether they inc- incorporate it into next year's um, quadrant or they have the, one of their own for, for, for that industry. It's strange because most of those vendors do have some sort of SaaS offering. I mean, Snow have one, Flexera have one. Um, you know, it, 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 I guess Aspera have got a, a specific Salesforce one. Um, so there is, there is, there is functionality there. And as you, uh, you know, as you know, they, they are, are kind of briefing in some of their other areas of the business that say, you know, cloud and SaaS spend is, you know, going through the roof. Um, you know, IDC, we're talking about $210 billion worldwide spend on cloud and SaaS spend this, this year. So that's fairly substantial. So it seems maybe that the SAM element is still being treated a little bit like a, a legacy, you know, looking at a perpetual on yeah. um, deployments and ELPs and compliance mm. positions and things like that. Whereas actually, you know, as we all agree, the market's moving into this kind of um, as a service cloud type utility model that, that does need managing um, and fairly substantially managing. I think yep. to answer AJ's question, I'd definitely say that yes, there should be a SaaS element in the next one. That surely Gartner can't afford not to in a SAM magic quadrant. Like you said, um, Stuart, they've all got SaaS modules anyway. And a lot of ITAM people I speak to now, one of their biggest challenges is is SaaS and managing cloud spend. So why not mm. put that into the magic quadrant for SAM tools? Cause that's where the market's going. Yeah, maybe they'll, they'll do it next year. And, but you know, I guess... Some opinion would say maybe it's a year too late because it should have been covered this year, maybe. I don't know. Unless they're planning a separate one. Yeah. 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 It, it, it may be. I, I'd be interested to see which way they go on that. It's um, it, There was nothing in the criteria this year looking at it. It, it was, as, as Stuart said, it was very much, oh, let's, let's get an, an ELP and track these licenses and, and, and track our entitlements and, um, you know, traditional SAM. As, as, we, as we can call it now because we've been around for long enough. Um, mm-hmm. so. I mean, it was, only, it was only a few years ago that I remember that people weren't sure who was supposed to be managing AWS spend. I mean, I think it sits fairly squarely within the ITAM team now, but it wasn't always the case. And maybe maybe they think that SaaS should be married, married, managed by a procurement or somebody. It's not, it's not a given that it's a IT thing, is it? No, no, it's not, and because because it's being purchased outside of IT, typically it's being purchased on on departmental budgets. So, um, I this is my 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 pet project, I suppose, in a way. But um, it is something that, that is best managed by us um, as, as ITAM professionals because we have got that statewide view of of everything, um, and we understand contracts and we understand the nuances of of user numbers and and subscription levels you know if you think about buying office i mean how, how many different levels of office can you buy there's e1 sorry K, uh, f1 now isn't it um e3 e5 plus a bunch of add-ons plus office pro plus um you know how do you choose which to buy you as a procurement person you're not going to know <clears throat> excuse me um so someone needs to be doing that and i say itam teams as good as good a place as any we understand the risks as well Right, and we understand how it can spiral out of control really easily and really quickly. Wouldn't expect procurement to be uh, to, to look after that one, to be honest. Yeah, it kind of all ends up with the CFO at some point, doesn't it? Because as you yeah. say, it's paid out before it's really managed, and then someone's going to suddenly say, "That seems a lot of money." Yeah. Someone's going to yeah. shout, or yeah. similar words, "Not for this family show." <laughs> Another bit of industry news, uh, I, I think um, who, who spotted, I think this is Barry spotted this. Uh, they're looking for license optimization people at Amazon. So they're looking to promote selling 
um, Windows Server on AWS, and obviously you need to know the licensing implications of that and how to optimize it. So they're looking for people to work at AWS to build that business, which I thought was quite a quite a turning point, and obviously directing competition with Azure. I think it's cool. Could this be a new breed of ITAM roles? And primarily focused at looking at licensing or spend in the cloud. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. It's it, it's logical. Everything there is licensed, um, so they have to be managing it properly, make sure they're not treading on anyone's toes. They they are Amazon, but they can still be sued. They've got a bill to pay to Microsoft or VMware or Oracle or whoever at the end of the month, haven't they? So, you know, there's interest. There's obviously opportunities there for them to optimize their spend and make more money from from their customers so i spoke to a company called densify um who do uh kind of cloud optimization monitoring cost control that kind of stuff um and they were saying that um ec2 bucket has 1.8 million different permutations for providing service you know they're, they're almost going to be in a kind of bring your own license spla kind of new wave of spla type of vendor where they have to, as we just said, declare to the vendor, right, we've got to pay you 432,000 cores of Microsoft server this month due to us selling it through um, AWS. And obviously, Microsoft might take a particularly keen eye on the veracity of that information. But they, yeah, they, they provide new, new SKUs within the EC2, as an example, on an almost weekly basis as things are moved around, probably from a hardware perspective as they bring new services to market. Um, I'm, I'm actually quite surprised they don't have this on there already, and maybe they do and they realize they actually have an opportunity to save some money. But yeah, there's lots of movements around how to optimize the right SKU on AWS. So if you have Microsoft, would you combat this at all? Would you then go, okay, well, we need someone in place that can help our customers optimize their um, Windows Server licensing in, in Azure, for example. If I was a client, I'd be hoping that people would do this as a matter of course. It wouldn't, they wouldn't be looking to bloat the bill, or maybe I'm being naive. But you'd hope, you'd hope that if you go to mm. AWS or you go to Microsoft and say, I want a solution that's going to satisfy this IT or business need, they're going to right-size it, right-scale it. Hmm. You would hope, but that's not, what, that's not what <laughs> history says. History says we'll let you spend overspend by 30%. Thank you very much. Or you get a, a solution provider to actually scope it out for you and give you that kind of advice to ensure that you can right-size it initially and then keep the, keep the governance and control on it throughout its life cycle. But I don't, I don't foresee the vendors doing that. Unless it comes to a point, and we've had this discussion around the, um, you know, the, the code of conduct for cloud is the, you know, what's going to drive a vendor to change the behaviors they've always exhibited. And that is if a, another vendor does it as a matter of course, but if the other vendor does that as a matter of course to distinguish themselves away from the competition, they're usually looking for market share and not those that have substantial market share. Uh, moving swiftly on, Adobe license changes. Um, AJ, I think you came up with this one. Yeah, so this links in quite nicely from what we've just been speaking about. So there's a couple of things here, a couple of pieces of news around Adobe. Um, the first one, for anyone who's ever been subject to um, an Adobe audit and um, had an unpleasant experience, uh, you'll probably enjoy this because um, Adobe are busy being audited by Dolby. Um, at the moment through uh, for their use of Dolby um, licensed software mostly as you would ima imagine audio and video codecs um, within their creative cloud um, uh, products for a number of past years um, the, the background to this is, is Dolby asked them to declare usage figures and Adobe didn't give them the, give them the figures that they wanted um, and Adobe are now trying to sue them in court for, for getting some more detailed figures around usage of their licensed materials. As a result of this, um, Adobe have uh, communicated to, to their customers saying, oh, by the way, maybe you shouldn't use this software anymore because you might get sued. Um, so this is for um, uh, some of the, the desktop versions. So um, uh, Lightroom Classic is one of them, which is a, 
um, tool used by photographers mainly. And that can that includes Dolby licensed or, or sub-licensed from Dolby um, uh, elements. And um, Adobe have asked, told their users not to use it. Um, it's, it's, no, it's no longer licensed effectively. So that's an interesting point. Now, Adobe sold them um, a license, a perpetual license to this software, uh, including Dolby um, product, products, and now it's no longer available for use effectively. No, they're, they're saying it's their customers. So it's their customers' problem, not Dolby's problem. Oh, sorry, not, not Adobe's problem. That's quite interesting. Um, and, you know, it, it brings up questions around, um, you know, third-party use and what does your software include um i think you know from reading microsoft product terms there's there's quite a bit of stuff in there around around codecs and, and things used um in various um office products for example um and it's it, there's plenty of previous around this i i can re recall from probably probably 10 years ago now um there's been quite a bit quite a bit of a bun fight around um mp3 licensing for example the the, the, the codecs behind everything that sort of controlled audio um, for a number of years because various patents expired and there was a bit of a battle as to who owned those. There might be, um, you know, it's about the origin of the software embedded within the software. So, mm. um, you know, open, license, open source licensing is free, but we need to manage it because we don't know what's in it and we don't know where, you know, what, where the code stemmed from. And I was thinking that if the whole US Chinese trade war escalates any further as well, you might get into the part where it says, you know, what parts of our uh, supply chain or what parts of our stack are not from the US or not from this country. And might be, that might be a future um, thing to think about. Uh, is, it, is it Huawei? I think, I hope I pronounced yeah. that correctly. You know, we're having to rip that out of our infrastructure. Um, what, who else might they focus on if, if things get out of hand? Yeah, yes. I mean, so certainly, you know, overnight you you can be in that situation. There's always been import restrictions um, on on software and, and also export restrictions. I should say it's no different to that. But but the difference is that these things are in you know being patched regularly, constantly. In fact, they have to be patched constantly in order to be to remain safe and. The, the whole cadence is much higher than it was with perpetual license software where it didn't matter perhaps so much because maybe it wasn't connected to the internet or um, you know people weren't actively researching exports for it for those, that those, those export restrictions are typically for a known list of countries though aren't they exactly and, and they're standard and, and if you suddenly add a couple of countries to that because we're having a trade war yeah that, that could make things very sticky yeah, yeah, and and you end up no beyond all the politics and diplomacy behind it, you end up with a bunch of software on, on your network which is not patched and is immediately exploitable. Um, so that's <laughs> that's pretty um, that's pretty significant, and then that, that that's the difference is the fact that you're you're suddenly left with infrastructure that, that that's vulnerable to attack. Um, that you then start have to start declaring for compliance with SOX or with PCI DSS or various other things. And there's, there's just one short piece of news as well about um, Adobe licensing changes. Yeah, so, so this is um, something that's sort of popping up. Um, yet again, an example of um, something that Adobe permitted you to do um, historically and have now taken away, deploying Creative Cloud using serial numbers. Um, there was the option to, to do this um, uh, for a number of years. It's really useful for um, maybe sensitive networks or, or networks which aren't connected to the internet. I'm sure you're aware if you've got Creative Cloud subscriptions, they they dial home to Adobe to pick up a license key on a periodic basis, um, usually around 30 days, every 30 days or so. Um, the alternative to that was to to, to deploy it via serial numbers. Um, that's going away over the next um, year to 18 months from Adobe products. So if you're in that situation, you won't be able to deploy using serial numbers. You'll have to connect to Adobe Direct. Um, and so that's possibly something that's coming along for you um, for certain Creative Cloud products, particularly if you've got some legacy deployments and old versions, um, that sort of thing, something to look out for. I also heard on that that the, I don't know, if, um, I, I think a couple of customers approached us complaining about this when they were exploring it. I don't know whether it's actually in the new license changes, but the, in exchange for license keys, they were then doing telemetry on users, basically mm. monitoring whether they're using it or not. 
and sending that back over the wire. So rather than just validating the license key, actually tracking specific users, which users weren't delighted about. Yeah, there's there's an aspect of um, Adobe of there was always an enhanced offering with the VIP program, which is the one you use to purchase some Creative Cloud. Um, they, if you're an enterprise customer, you could get enhanced telemetry on their usage, which is really useful from a from a sound perspective because you could work out if the license was actually being used. Um, so it's probably around that, I would think. But um, so it's kind of like give up give up your user information so that you maybe can reassign that license if you feel like it. Um, if they're not using it, you know, um, is that is that a, is that a really a worthwhile exchange of information there? I'm just um, a bit surprised. Well, I guess I'm a little bit surprised that I don't understand that actually people need to use software in different ways, and you know, lockdown secure networks is um, almost re prevalent on most customers, and obviously the the obvious ones have them in in abundance. Um, which kind of takes you back to the point where they tried to make everyone buy subscription in the cloud and they had to kind of revert that position because everyone said, no, 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 we're not doing that. And they seem to have kind of done it. I don't understand the logic behind why they're doing what they're doing, especially in with the data protection and the GDPR. There we go. There it is this week. Um, implications of data and, and all that kind of stuff, why they think that's a good idea. It'd be interesting to know how much of their revenue comes from from from, from that from from that deployment method as well, because it, it can't be much. It's it's fairly niche, I would think. Um, bearing in mind these are mainly design products. Um, mm. and if anyone's ever worked with a design studio, they're pretty, pretty rubbish at kind of being um, being um, confidential with their data. They're quite happy to sort of send stuff all over the place. Um, so it's you know I I, I wonder why um, it doesn't seem. No, they're making plenty of money from Creative Cloud. They're extremely successful. Why would they need to go after that sort of tiny little percentage of users who do it this way? I think it also has an impact um, potentially in education as well. Um, so, yeah, it, interesting interesting group of users to, to potentially annoy their um, future users of, of their products. On the Adobe front, uh, David, I saw you... Um with your keyboard warrior hat on on LinkedIn, <laughs> um, having having almost a bill of rights about how to do, manage Adobe. Do you want to share your? Do you want to vent your spleen? Yeah, so not not um, necessarily keyboard warrior esque, but um, yeah, I, for some reason, all the you know the stuff that AJ has just mentioned um, with the Adobe licensing changes and the Adobe stuff. Um, some vendors now are coming out saying, you know, well, you could be next for an audit, and oh god, it's really complicated to manage your Adobe Creative Cloud estate. And when it comes to renewal time, you know, it's a really tough one for ITAM people. It's like. I think the majority of us know it's really not that difficult. It's not even anywhere close to a Microsoft and IBM and SAP, et cetera. So I just kind of wanted to um, put it in um, really easy, simple terms, how you can optimize your Adobe estate without the use of any technologies or tools and get some really good results with that as well. Um, obviously, I get that you know, technology companies and vendors and stuff um, – you know, they're trying to drum up more business, um, get people to subscribe to a new module or whatever that manages Creative Cloud. But, you know, you really don't need to spend X amount of money, X amount of thousands of pounds each year on, on an Adobe module when you can do it within, you know, I've done Adobe renewals with, you know, a month, two months notice, for example. Um, so I just listed out less than 10 steps you can do without a SAM tool on how to optimize your Adobe estate um, and get your agreement ready so that, um, like AJ said, they make an awful lot of money. Uh, and this is one way that you can really kind of take a hold of that, take control of that. Um, and quite frankly, be in a position where you know exactly what you need, you know who's using it and why, um, and you've got an optimized Adobe estate without having to invest loads of money in tools and technologies. Um, so it wasn't really a rant. It was more a case of, look, don't, don't be um, kind of misled by some of the marketing materials that have gone out in the past few weeks about Adobe. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you can still control it if you haven't got specific tooling in place. Um, and it's really easy to do so. We all know that. And despite I, guess, that I guess those those organisations that don't have a beast, you know, might might look for an easier way out, even if it costs them a few quid more. 
because um, obviously technology automates a process. Yeah. Whether that process really needs automating, I guess, is down to an organisation what skills they've got to do that. It might be yeah. an easier route to be sold to. I'm not suggesting that's the right thing. I'm just saying that, that you know, people will, will, will spend money on automation um, sometimes for, for the sake of it, you know. No, I completely agree, Stuart. You know, the, the, obviously, any renewal, um, when you've got technologies in place uh, that shows you consumption, that gives you more data, is going to make things an awful lot easier. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, you can do a creative cloud renewal without having that level of automation, without having a, a SAM tool, without having, you know, a mature ITAM function. I just kind of wanted to put that out there because there seems to be mm. some posts recently going up about um, obviously like I said with the news going out there seems to be a bit of not scaremongering but oh god isn't it complicated oh come and uh, buy our services or buy our tool um, and we can sort that out for you and it's actually you don't need to it's, it's really easy because because everything gets everything gets co-termed to your anniversary date you've got a month's grace at the, at exactly. the end yeah um I think, you know, I only had about sort of 70, 80 users or something like that to, to manage. And it was literally maybe a day's work um, yeah. uh, in conjunction with your existing SAM tool that, that can obviously um, discover what's installed. And actually, I, you know, I, I qualified this with, with, with Adobe at the time and said, do I need to, do I need to go and uninstall that, that software that's no longer being used? And they said, well, no, because it hasn't got a license key. No, it's not been activated, so it can't be used. We don't care. Um, whether that's an official Adobe policy, I don't know, but that's certainly what um, a fairly senior sales rep told me. Yeah, that's what we. That's what um, uh, one of my clients is being told at the moment because we've just gone through my less than ten steps creative cloud renewal process, and we're going all. Oh, there's there's quite a lot of changes that we need to make in the portal, and there's quite a lot of uninstalls. And Adobe are going well. Firstly, you've got that grace period so that you can switch them all over. It's not going to be a case of, boom, come your renewal date, all these licenses disappear and people are going to start screaming. And secondly, as soon as you remove their license from the portal, they can't access it anyway. Mm. So, you know, from our point of view, it's not taking a license. It's just, you know, you can remove it if you want. But, you know, in the event of anything ever happening, it's not going to count towards your consumption. So really easy. Yeah. So what is the next um, vendor you're going to give 10 steps to, David? Next week. I don't, don't want to do a spoiler alert, Stuart, but uh, yeah, June's looking quite uh, an interesting one as I frantically yeah, try and find the guest just yet. <laughs> find one I can do without a SAM tool, yeah. Like, Jargon Buster! Jargon Buster! Multiplexing. There's no Barry to describe it with cake. Mm, I know. Multiplexing via the medium of cake is when you give a cake to somebody, but realise it's not just somebody, it's actually a coach full of people. There you go. Yeah, excellent. Job, Job of the week. week. We've, um, the job that caught my eye this week was at my favourite coffee shop in the UK. Uh, Costa Coffee. Um, other coffee shops are available. Other coffee shops are available. So, um, uh, fondly for me, because I went to university in, in sunny Luton, and uh, that's where Whitbread was based, which became, used to be, used to be um, the UK's, one of the UK's biggest brewers and owner of pubs, and managed to flip themselves into a coffee chain very successfully. Um, and uh, Premier Inn. Oh. And Premier Inn, and Premier Inn. Um, so one of the redeeming features of this job description is that you get a 25% discount off of Costa Coffee, uh, but free when you're working, apparently. Um, so what do we think of this role? Well, of course, they got bought out, didn't they? They all, Whitbread sold them on to Coca-Cola um, about a year ago, I believe. So it's not part of the, it's not a, a UK stroke international. This is potentially, you know, would be global if, if, coca-cola get behind this and actually start promoting the the cost of brand even further afield than it is right now because it's um i think i even remember seeing some of it in uh, some of the airports so you know it, you could you could almost argue that it's global already but I'm, i would go international rather than global so it's um i think it's a role to grow into potentially if the company grows and the job role yeah the job role talks about working with the coca-cola company stakeholders which obviously is the, like you mentioned is the wider 
wider organization but they also mention about um it seems more of a kind of an itam role because there's some hardware stuff in there as well and some cmdv bits in there um you need to know about the asset life cycle for all it assets software and hardware um so i think it's um and it's near sunny luton as well you know l town um so it's a it's not quite Starbucks, but it's still, um, it looks like a really good role to be fair for someone who's in that kind of area um, and is looking to kind of get their hands around, uh, you know, potentially. A, a As a coffee problem. snob, I'd take Costa over Starbucks any day of the week. I yeah. like their hot stuff, but the cold stuff, I'd much rather go to Starbucks. I miss Pret. I used to live in London and I miss Pret. There's no, the, the nearest Pret is in like the Trafford Centre. But I just thought I'd chip in with that. It's, it's grim up north, isn't it? Oh, it, sorry, Norrie, we're not supposed to abuse the north. Sorry, it's lovely. <laughs> it's lovely up north. Sorry, Rich. Sorry, Rich. Um, one thing that struck me about this one was um, you're accountable for developing the Costa CMDB. Ooh. So not just helping, but accountable for building it and um, building it. Yeah, which I thought was quite different for us for an item role. So, uh, do we know if they're a ServiceNow customer? That's the question. Because that's no, a... I don't think there's any hints of product in here. Not yeah. that I usually there's a little, you know, hat tip to a vendor. Yeah. Um, they do say that they're in Costa Express. Uh, sorry, they're, they're the traditional chains. Then they have Costa Express, which is like a franchise type thing, isn't it? Like a kiosk. Yeah, you got them in. Uh, and they said their ambition is to serve more coffee in more ways in more places. The mind boggles what they're what they're going to do there. In the essential experience, but also mentions about project um, projects problem management as well to be able to bring multiple parties and issues together to identify resolution to problems. You need to do a bit of um, kind of culture changing by the sounds of it. Sounds like sounds like it's kind of. A typical ITAM role where it's one uh, one person does everything, uh, yeah. which is odd because I mean they're, they're they're a big company and and Coca Cola themselves have got a pretty mature ITAM practice from what I understand it. So um, um, interesting. So this is about the self service Costa Express machines with more than nine thousand so far and growing rapidly. Is that nine thousand Costa Express machines or nine thousand assets for the role to manage? Well, there's, there's a Costa Express machine in virtually every service station I go to, so. Um, there's certainly um, i'd be amazed i'd be amazed if that express machine was not an, uh, some sort of smart device it, it must be talking to the mothership yeah i mean oh, the, whole yeah. Th- the whole thing might be built open source but it's it's still an asset i would have thought so you've got those plus your standard desktop laptops phones network stuff etc and, well, and, and the main stores themselves as well so nine thousand is just oh, yeah, the cost to express so and yeah you know I mean, you, you just have to walk down a street in London. There's about ten costas. Yeah, about two and a half thousand, according to Wikipedia. I don't know how that was a September 2018. So, two and a half thousand in the UK, um, and a handful elsewhere. Eleven in Latvia, four in Cambodia. There, there you go. go, international. Yeah, two international role. Yeah. So like any any cool any role. challenges? Um, I mean, we talked about. Um, supermarket chains and I guess this is retail this is similar to a supermarket in that it's very very distributed any 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 unique challenges with this role do you think uh constant up constant uptime required um probably all sorts, sorts of legacy kit in um at point of sale because um, having come from a retail background myself it's very tricky getting epos stuff swap, swapped out without affecting service um so that could be a challenge. Um, is it constant uptime? Costas are like at six in the morning till oh, I suppose so, yeah, five at night type thing, isn't it? But yeah, the express probably. ones would be. Yeah. But they're just so. giving out a, um, a ticket, aren't they? That's what you've ordered, I think. So, But yeah, you know, there's, you know, uh, retail is, is always, it's always a bit of a challenge. Um, um, There'll be a, there'll be a lot of devices around, I'm sure. There'll be a lot of maybe Internet of Things devices to manage. Um, That'll be the mutts nuts of a container implementation, wouldn't it? You think you think about a till, and typically it's got an OS behind it, and then it's got the software. You wouldn't necessarily need the OS if all you were doing was containerizing the um, the, the the software that actually did the transaction. 
Talking yeah. of talking of much nuts, Rory, um, could you explain um, process ITAM processes via the medium of glory holes? <laughs> um, I didn't sign up for this podcast. What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> so this this was an oblique reference I made to. Um, oh, you're actually going to do it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't think I can sort of leave that sort of um, hanging. hanging. No, 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 no. This was a, a, a video myself and Kylie Fowler filmed talking about the join of niggers and levers process before you put your own jokes in there. Um, and it was, it was talking about how companies, um, you know, were very good at the joiners part, but were pretty lousy at the, the levers part and the definition concerning glory holes were those cupboard spaces that you don't go near that you don't clean up that you just shove everything in and shut the door and think you'll get around to doing something one day that was my definition and use of the term glory hole and um, which, which is obviously a, a hole in the ground in which like you get uh, you know like um a sinkhole a sinkhole yes why Roy didn't call it a sinkhole i don't know why he called it a glory hole who, <laughs> who knows <laughs> Let's not dig into his private life. Yes. <laughs> yes, there was much amusement on Facebook about that. Yeah. Anyway, we'll put a link to the video, um, your video with Kylie, in the show notes. Make sure you get the right glory hole video, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Martin. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks. That's very kind. Uh, with that, I think that's a wrap. <laughs> that's Thank a glorious you. wrap. Gentlemen, uh, have a great June and uh, see you next month. Cheers, Have a great day, guys. Have a good one. See you later, guys. All the best. Take Oh, eat, oh, eat, oh.